Well, I want to talk to you today about minimum daily requirements for evangelism. Um, I have always had a love-hate relationship with evangelism. Uh, I love the concept, telling people about Jesus and what he's done to save them. Uh, I'd love to be successful at it. Uh, I'd love for it to just come easily and naturally. And uh, mostly, I'd love to see people saved and added to local churches. Uh, I, I don't believe any individual Christian or local church can be completely joyful or completely fulfilled unless they're involved in evangelism and seeing people saved. I, I believe God created us to be that way because we were created in his image and God is that way. Heaven rejoices when, when someone is saved. Um, I believe the joy and fulfillment we experience in seeing people saved is the very same joy and fulfillment that, that God experiences. So uh, I love it. But I often hate my resume. Um, I never feel like I witness enough, even though I can't define for you what enough is. So I always have this kind of free form guilt uh, wandering around. Uh, and when I try, I often feel inadequate or anxious. Uh, and at times I just kind of like to ignore the whole subject and pretend that it doesn't exist and make it go away, but I know that's not an option uh, because that's something that God has clearly called every Christian to do. You don't have to raise your hand, but can anybody relate to what I'm saying? So doing nothing isn't an, an option, but, but what am I to do? Um, what is exactly does it look like for ordinary Christians like us to uh, evangelize. Well, let me, let me this morning just give you six simple things. And, and you're going to find they are simple. Sim simple things that every Christian can do to be involved in the church's mission to the lost. Uh, what I call the MDR or minimum daily requirements for evangelism. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll dive into this. Father, uh, I, I thank you for this church and I, I just thank you for um, all that they've done here in, in their city and in their area uh, over the years. But fathers, we talk about a, an area like evangelism that uh, I think many relate to my uh, love-hate relationship. Um, maybe we can when we hear the word cringe a little bit inside, uh, I, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you, you would help us to uh, see the, the simplicity and yet the importance of these things that can position each and every one of us to be more effective in sharing the good news of what Jesus has done to save sinners from their sin and God's wrath. Um, so spirit, be at work in us, be at work in me, help me to communicate these things, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, six things, and the first one is this. Just, just live conscious that you're on a mission. 
just be, be conscious of that fact. Every gospel ends with a commission to mission. Uh, the book of Acts begins with a commission uh, to mission, the best known of which is uh, Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So all of these, all of these uh, commission statements, they begin with a mandate to witness. The process of making disciples recognizes that we're not born disciples, we're not born Christians, and so it starts with, the process starts with going and telling unbelievers the gospel. Going and telling unbelievers the good news of what Jesus has done to save them from their sins so that by believing, they become his disciple and they get baptized, which in context means they get added to a local church. They identify not only with Jesus' death and resurrection, but they identify with God's people. They say, I'm with them. And then once they are, they're taught to obey or apply everything that God has commanded them. In other words, there's this lifelong process of discipleship and growing and, and learning how to, to better follow Jesus. And I, we need to note that this is a commission that's not just given to the 12, but it's a commission that's given to all disciples for all time. Um, it's the point of Jesus' assurance saying, and behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. In Acts, the commission actually talks about going to the ends of the earth. So this commission is for all disciples, for all disciples to the ends of the earth, till the end of the age, in other words, for all time. It is a comprehensive call to mission that begins with evangelism. So here's the question for each of us then. Where do I go? Where do you go? If the call is to go, where do we go? Well, here's the truth. For the vast majority of Christians, just go right where God has placed you. Just, just go right where you... It's no accident that you were born where you were born or that you live where you live, or that you work where you work, or that you know who you know. Uh, your mission field is right where, as Josh said earlier, you live, work, and play. Your mission field includes your family, and your friends, and your neighbors, and your coworkers, and maybe just those people that you run across in the course of daily life at the grocery store or at school or the, or, or the gym or, or someone else. For every one of us, there are people in your lives that are close to you but far from God. And those are the very people that God has called you to go to. 
We all don't go to, well, praise God for people that are called uh, to go to the ends of the earth. But for the vast majority of Christians, we're just called to go right where God has, has, has placed us. That's the point of Acts 17, where, where Paul says, uh, he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, for each and every one of us, God's called you at, at this season in your life to be in Midlothian, Virginia. Um, maybe, maybe you've been other places, but, but, but the point is um, your, your mission field is, is just right where God's placed you. And it's no accident that he's placed you with the people that he's placed you with that are, that are in your lives. Because there are people for every one of us that are close to you, but far from God. So this just starts out with finding ways to remind yourself each and every day that you're on a mission that there are opportunities all around you that you can be consciously looking for. Here's, here's the reality that's true for most of us. We tend to live very compartmentalized lives, don't we? We, we tend to kind of have our lives in neat little boxes or uh, word files or, or whatever the, uh, the case may be. So, you know, there's my work life and then there's my leisure life and then there's my family life and then there's my church life. Uh, and then, oh yeah, there's my mission life. And the reality is, is no, all of life is a mission, no matter where it is that we are. Um, Chester and Timothy said in the book, Total Church, captured this so well. They said this, most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. People just like you and I, ordinary people doing ordinary things, but being conscious we're on a mission, doing those things with a gospel intentionality. So the first one, very simple, this is easy, isn't it? Uh, is just be conscious you're on a mission. Second thing is this, Pray for the lost and for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray. Uh, one of the easiest ways, by the way, to remind yourself every day that you're on a mission is to pray for that mission. Uh, we find in Romans 10, verse 1, Paul prays, Brothers, my heart desire and pray to prayer to God is for them is that they may be saved. For them, meaning his, his brother and sister Israelites. So, so Paul's desire, his prayer, he's just praying for people to be saved. In 1 Timothy uh, 2, 1 through 4, he instructs Timothy, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So here we see Paul consciously connects praying for people with evangelism. Um, Richard Alverson, who um, was the chaplain of the Senate, I think back in the 60s, said this. He says, intercession is the truly universal work for Christians. No place is closed to intercessory prayer. No continent, no nation, no organization, no city, no office, there is no power on earth that can keep intercession out. How encouraging is that? 
that, uh, and we're not just talking about China or a, uh, or a Muslim country, but uh, your office, uh, your neighborhood, uh, your, your family that may be resistant. There, there's nothing that can stop you from praying and God hearing those prayers and working on behalf of those prayers. Uh, so praying is something that every single one of us can do to participate in the mission to participate in evangelism. Uh, And in the New Testament, we see believers praying for mission in a variety of ways. Let me just give you some. Pray for opportunities to witness that that God would open doors for you. Uh, Jesus uh, told his disciples in Matthew 9, 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. By the way, when you do that, yeah, Lord, send out everybody. Oh, why don't you include yourself and, and send me too. Send laborers and let me be one of them. Uh, pray for specific, specific people that you want to see saved. I have a long and growing list of, of people that I, that I pray for that I want to see saved. Um, pray for boldness and courage. I, I found this. I think you probably have to. The hardest thing about evangelism is just bringing it up, isn't it? Just how, 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 do I, how do I bring this up? Fear and anxiety tends to be the greatest hindrance to sharing the gospel with people. So pray for boldness and courage. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work in your witnessing. Uh, cultivate a daily Holy Spirit dependence uh, in your life, not only for witnessing, um, but the Holy Spirit, and we'll see this even a little more later. He is, if, if not a, the vital component working both in you and your hearers in evangelism. And then pray that God would just give you a greater heart for the lost. Um, so uh, first, just be conscious. Second, pray. Third, just be friendly and engaging. Um, Jesus says in John 4, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. How many of us face the temptation of just walk, walking through life, heads down, eyes down? And can you relate? We just, what's the next task in front of us? What are we doing? I'm doing this and then I'm doing that. And, and we, we live our whole lives uh, or we, we can be so tempted to live our whole lives, heads down, eyes down, just minding your own business. When really just be nice to people. Um, say hi to people. Engage them in conversation. Introduce yourself to your neighbors. Uh, talk to your coworkers, uh, waiters, waitresses, etc. And and by the way, remember people's names and remember what they tell you uh, about themselves. And we have no greater model uh, for this than Jesus Himself. Um, listen to John one fourteen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Don't don't miss the last part. When Jesus became flesh, when he was incarnate, he dwelt among people. He wasn't some guru up on a far mountaintop. Uh, he, he, he wasn't even John the Baptist out in the desert eating honey and locusts, although why anybody would 
want to eat that, I don't know. Um, he, he, was, he dwelt among people. In fact, the greatest criticism that Jesus often received was the fact that he hung out with sinners. Uh, listen to three from Luke chapter, uh, or from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 7, 34. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Um, Luke 15, two. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. I mean, you can just hear the horror in the religious leader's voice. It's just dripping with, can you? They had no cat. He, he eats with sinners. He befriends. Be can you believe? What? This guy claims to be a pride, and he eats with sinners. Um, Luke 19, 7. He has gone in to be a guest uh, of a man who's a sinner. Uh, this last reference is, is to the story of Zacchaeus uh, that you're familiar with. Um, and the story ends with Jesus explaining. It, it begins with this criticism by the Pharisees. It ends with Jesus explaining. And this is his explanation in 19.10. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. You're shocked that I'm a friend of sinners? My mission is to seek and save the... Come on, guys. What else would you expect a savior to do except find people that need to be saved and then preach the gospel to them so they might be saved? But often, isn't this our problem? Uh, Joe Aldridge uh, says there is no impact without contact, and yet after knowing the Lord two years, the average Christian has no significant relationships with non-Christians. Um, statistics tell us that over 80% of believers come to Jesus through a friend or a family member. Um, so how many of you would that be true of, that you just came to Jesus because a friend, a family member? Okay, great. So uh, I think that was 72.3, but that's... <laughs> That's within the standard deviation, so we're cool. Um, you know, Jane and I, five years ago, we, we, um, we used to live on two acres out in the country. Absolutely loved it. There are a variety of reasons that we moved, but one of them was uh, our witnessing opportunities in the neighborhood were very limited because the neighbors on both sides of us were both Christians. And, you know, you just... There's not, so we moved uh, to a townhouse neighborhood where we now live, and, and, and we love it. Um, and, uh, and we've just made a point from, the, from day one, we want to we get to know our, our neighbors and try to share the gospel with them. Uh, just recently, uh, you know, I was a little frustrated, like, how do I? So at Easter, when people are thinking about it, I, I bought uh, the book, What is the Gospel, and the track that goes with it. And then I just wrote a little note, and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I said, you know, you know me, my wife and our dog. And, um, and I, I just left it as a gift for every neighbor. And, you know, so has anybody gotten saved? Have we actually gotten to share the gospel with anybody? No. But people, you know, they were, hey, I read your book. I, you know, thank you for that. Um, so um, my wife, Jane, is, is well known in the neighborhood. Uh, and so is, so is our dog, Finn. Uh, I'm kind of known as... Isn't that the guy that lives with Finn? That's, that's probably my... Uh, uh, but the point is, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but we have 
just develop just by being friendly. One of the blessings was we live right by the mailboxes. So people were always coming by our house. So we've just been friendly and we've talked to people and we've tried to engage them. Uh, and, and that really, if you just lift up your eyes and just be nice to people, uh, you might be surprised at what God does. So that's number three. Uh, number four, uh, let people know you're a Christian. By the way, these kind of things kind of build on each other. Um, now, what I'm not saying is you meet somebody and say, by the way, I'm a Christian. Or, you know, you get one of, a hat, Christian, or one of those witnessing T-shirts that people wear that well, maybe people don't even get. But anyway, um, but think about how many opportunities you have to talk about church or the Bible or relationship. Just to example, how many times do you get asked, what did you do this weekend? I get asked that all the time. It's a great opportunity to talk about the church. Or, or what are you planning? What, what are your plans for the weekend? Um, and, and so uh, just, just let people know in those situations when you can uh, that you're a Christian. You'll be, people will start looking at you differently. Uh, they'll start observing you. Uh, you have a chance to break stereotypes of what people think, particularly in the South, a Christian is like. And you might be surprised that they seek you out. Um, one of my best seasons for witnessing was uh, when I still worked for the U.S. government. And uh, I, just, I just remember people that they knew I was a Christian. And I, I remember my boss one time calling me into the office. And he, he just, which, you know, normally doesn't happen. And my wife and I are really struggling. She's asking for a divorce. You know, can you, can you help me? I remember one guy just, he, he said, man, there's all these resurrection stories and one thing says one thing and one thing says another. Uh, you know, can you explain these, these kind of things? So you just might be surprised, you know, that people have those kind of uh, questions. Uh, even if somebody replies, hey, me too, uh, it opens up an opportunity to befriend a, a fellow Christian or, uh, or maybe in the South, uh, maybe they're just a nominal Christian, you know, and they say me too and, and you say, yeah, sure, right. You, um, just opportunities to befriend them in that way. Uh, so that's number four. And then five, share the gospel as the opportunity arises. Um, that's the goal of all of this. But it's not the first step. And that's the point. See, just, I'm on a mission, and I want to pray, and I want to be friendly, and I want to let people know I'm a Christian. I haven't even said a word about the gospel yet. You're just, you're just building relationally. You're, you're, you're thinking about mission. You're preparing your heart. Um, but that's, that's not the goal. The end goal is to share the gospel. All of those things are preparatory steps. And, and so we need to be like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. We need to be prepared when the opportunity arises to share the gospel. That's what 1 Peter 3, 5 uh, Peter writes, always be prepared to make a defense or the NIV, I think, says better to give an answer to anyone ask you for a reason for the hope that's within you. So um, can you uh, explain three things? Why somebody needs to be saved, uh, which is what we tend to shrink back from the most, um, you know, the whole issue of sin in people's lives. Uh, how a person can can get saved, like what, what God did. 
and, the, and then their, their response. Um, years ago, uh, I just um, had these little cards done. The front of them just says saved, and then the back has three statements with a, a sentence explanation. You're a sinner who needs a savior. Jesus is the only savior and trust and turn. And then it has my email address uh, on the back. Now, again, uh, I haven't been flooded with emails. Actually, I've gotten some. Um, but, but the point is, um, I, I just wanted to, in a very simple way, um, you're a sinner. Jesus is the savior. Turn and trust. Um, why you need to be saved. Um, how, how God saves and, and then how, how we're to respond. Um, but there, there's, you don't have to have a, tra- a, a card. Um, there's lots of good tracks out there you can use. Here's the point. When the opportunity arises, just do your best. Just do your best. Uh, Max Stiles, in his wonderful little book on evangelism, which I would highly recommend, if you just want to read one book, Um, He says this, I, for one, will take people practicing evangelism as best they can over those who forego evangelism until they have the perfect practice. Um, D.L. Moody said a little more pithily, he said, I like the way I do it better than the way that you don't do it. (laughs) So just do your best. Um, J.I. Packer, in his book, Evangelism and Sovereignty, said, in the last analysis, uh, there is only one method of evangelism, namely the faithful explanation and application of the gospel message, from which it follows that the test of any proposed strategy or technique or style of evangelistic action must be this. Will it, in fact, serve the word? Is it calculated to be the means of explaining the gospel truly and fully and applying it deeply and exactly? Okay, and then sixthly, uh, just trust God for the results. One of the most liberating truths about evangelism is understanding the relationship between your part and God's part. There's nothing more, more, more liberating. Um, understanding that the, the power uh, for witness places a, a, a Christian's goal properly. Uh, our role is to witness, only God can save. There, there's the reality. Um, one of the great things about being reformed is we believe in divine election, that God has actually ordained some people uh, to be saved. Now, we don't know who they are, so we just witness to everybody. We're not trying to have some discernometer, you know, eh, is this person elected? Uh, eh, maybe in this one. Now I'm not even going to talk to them. That, that, that's not the point, but it does give us confidence. God has chosen, chosen some people to be saved. And, and, if, and if you think, well, yeah, I don't know if he would cho- choose that person. He chose you, so come on. Um, the reality of God's love, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Uh, the power of the gospel itself. In Romans 16, uh, 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's something powerful in this in this reality, uh, uh, God's word in general has power. Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in, in the person hearing the gospel, that he regenerates, he convicts, he gives the gift of repentance, he gives the gift of, uh, of faith. You can't do any of those things 
Uh, but he does that through the means, through, through your sharing the gospel. And then, and then the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, just giving you boldness and clarity and guidance. Uh, David Wells in his book, God the Evangelist, says, um, the message proclaimed has the power to do its work, not because of the evangelist's personality or skills of persuasion, which is often what we look to, but because of the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, who alone is able to turn rebellious sinners into obedient followers of Christ. How, how freeing is that? Charles Spurgeon said, he is what he's called. He saved us from the punishment and the guilt of sin, and then from the ill effect and evil power of sin. It is his nature to do this. We see this in the very fact that his very name is Jesus, Savior. We still call on him by that name, for he still saves us in these latter days. Let us go and tell out his name among men, for he will save others. Bank can come up. Robert Morrison was the first missionary, first Protestant missionary to go to China where he eventually served for 27 years and translated the entire uh, Bible into Chinese. And as he was boarding the ship that was going to take him to China, the ship's owner commented to him, so, Mr. Morrison, you really expect to make an impression on the idolatry of the great Chinese empire? And Morrison replied, no, sir, I expect God will. Do you expect to make any impression on your family or your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers or anybody? No. But brothers and sisters, let's please expect that God will. Amen. Amen.